you're here. We're halfway done with the seventh season, a conversation all about summer blockbusters, and we're heading out onto the open water with Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, the first in the series. So a long time ago, back in 2003, I spent the summer in Yorktown, Virginia, giving tours of the Yorktown battlefields as a part of the Student Conservation Association. I got to work with the National Park Service. I worked at the battlefield itself giving tours. I did artillery demonstrations. I worked at the Thomas Nelson House, which is in right downtown Yorktown, which was a home that um, General Cornwallis actually kind of made camp during the siege of Yorktown in 1781. And then I stayed at the, I did some tours of the Moore House as well. I had to work the Moore House, which is where um, the ceasefire was kind of, those discussions were had. It was a a couple miles outside of Yorktown, um, away from the battlefield. And so I went for the summer. I was there about three months, I think, two or three months. And it was the first time that had been really, really away from home for that amount of time. I went to the University of Indianapolis, which was just a few miles down the road from my house, which wasn't a big deal because it let me work at the Southport Public Library, which got me through college. I came out of college, my undergrad degree, with very few loans, which was fantastic. Um, but I, I just had never been home, away from home for that period of time. My fa- parents had driven me out there, kind of dropped me off. They were going to come visit about halfway through the summer because they always tended to take vacations during the summer and they were bringing my younger brother out there. And my older brother was living in Baltimore, Maryland at the time. And so he came down to visit one weekend. He stayed overnight, I think, if I remember correctly. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to go see Pirates of the Caribbean. I had already watched it once. There was not a lot. I didn't have money. I wasn't making money. It was like $50 a week for me to be there. That's all I was making. So there, I didn't have a lot of movie. Occasionally, I'd go see a movie. Um, and I had seen Pirates of the Caribbean. I was like, I want, I want to go again. Let's just go do that. That sounds like fun. And it was a rainy kind of day in Virginia. And so I took him to see that. And I realized how much I just, I loved that movie. And in my memory, how ingrained that movie is to my time in Virginia, which is kind of weird because it played such a small part. It was an amazing summer. I met a wonderful girl who kind of took me under her wing that lived there in Gloucester, um, just across the bridge from Yorktown. She kind of adopted me for the summer. I met a lot of different interns. I had three or four different roommates. It was that learning experience I needed that, hey, you can do this. You can strike out into the big, broad world and and do some amazing things. And I have always appreciated how that that experience helped me find my voice. Uh, I, I was a shy, introverted kid <laughs> who never talked up in class and was a really good student, but just was timid and terrified of just about everything. And that experience really brought me out of my shell and having to talk in front of people, which was my worst nightmare, having to do presentations in front of people really forced me out of my comfort zone and to the place where now I do it all the time. And it it makes me laugh that I can do it all the time without any trouble. Sometimes without any preparation at all, I can hop up and talk in front of people. But Pirates of the Caribbean was a huge part of my life in the summer of 2003. It was directed by Gore Verbinski. He was considered an inventive American filmmaker. Along with the following two Pirates sequels, Gore also directed Mouse Hunt with Nathan Lane, The Mexican with Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt, a grossly underrated dramatic comedy with just a heart of gold. I love that one. 
The Ring, which still gives me nightmares to this day. That was one that my friends and I went to see on Halloween, I think, or right around Halloween in college because we always tended to go to a scary movie at college. I now hate scary movies and I never go, but we went. <laughs> I did it once upon a time. And a couple of Johnny Depp flops, Rango and The Lone Ranger. So he's, he's out there. He's made some big budget movies, uh, not great ones, but he's made some. A handful of gentlemen have screen story credits, but Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio were the screenwriters or like the main the main names in the screenwriter credits. Elliott had some decent screen credits. He worked on Aladdin, The Mask of Zorro, The Road to El Dorado, The Shrek movies and specials and National Treasure Book of Secrets. Rossio has almost an identical filmography, but substitute The Legend of Zorro and add 2021's Godzilla versus Kong. So they seem to have worked together quite a bit. Again, this was released on July 9th, 2003, officially released that day. Johnny Depp was already a fan favorite, but this kind of skyrocketed him into a whole other atmosphere. The movie also starred Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom, and Kira Knightley. So what else came out that summer? Competition in the summer included Too Fast, Too Furious. I'm trying to think of how many Fast and the Furious movies I've actually seen, and I think it maybe is two two total. It's not um, a series. It's not a a franchise that I just dove into headfirst. Dumb and Dumber came out, Hulk with Eric Bana, 28 Days Later, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, Legally Blonde 2, Terminator 3, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a horrible movie and I love it anyway, Bad Boys 2, Seabiscuit. I loved Seabiscuit. I I really loved the book. I read the book as well, and I loved that kind of micro history where you're taking one particular little story and you blow it up and you learn so much about a time period as well. Fascinating book and just well done movie as well. Spy Kids 3, the Spy Kids franchise, don't don't sleep on that. It's a good franchise, and they are bringing it back with Zachary Levi, which gets me very excited. But the, the, the originals were fantastic. You should go back and watch those if you haven't. American Wedding as a part of the American Pie series. I watched the first one of those. I don't think I ever watched anything else. And Open Range with Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall. Box office report, the budget for the Pirates of the Caribbean was roughly $140 million. It had a decent open opening weekend, bring in about $46 million, and would eventually make over $305 million domestically and just under $650 million worldwide. It was the fourth highest grossing film of 2003 behind The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Finding Nemo, and The Matrix Reloaded. So a couple of big movies came out that year. So if you're not familiar with it, we're to the plot. Again, I'm assuming you are, but just in case you're not, the core plot is a group of pirates led by Captain Barbosa are cursed when they steal a chest full of Spanish medallions. They manage to return all of them except for one. One is missing. And so they're cursed. The medallion is one of 882 gold pieces from a treasure of Hernan Cortez on the Isle de Muerta as a payment to stop the massacre against the Aztecs. But Cortez, being too greedy, rejected it, and the Aztec gods put a curse on the treasure. The one remaining medallion is in the possession of Elizabeth Swan, the daughter of the British governor of Port Royal. 
Enter second and third plot point. So Swan found the medallion on a small child rescued at sea when she too was a kid. This boy named Will Turner, who just so happens to be the son of a pirate known as Bootstrap Bill Turner, one of Barbosa's men. So Bootstrap had stolen the medallion, given it to his son. That's why Will has it. Several years later, while at a ceremony for Commodore Norrington on Port Royal, like the captain's about to become a Commodore, Elizabeth faints and falls from a height into the sea. She's now a grown woman, beautiful. She's wearing a corset. It makes it hard to breathe. She falls off. She falls off the fort uh, into the sea below, activating of sorts the magic of the medallion, which becomes a beacon to the pirates still looking for it. They come and kidnap Swan because it turns out that they need her blood to end the curse. They need the blood of bootstrap Bill Turner to in the curse except she's swan not turner but she uses will turner's name because i think she doesn't want to them to know that she is the daughter of the governor and so will turner who is now a blacksmith on port royal and madly in love with elizabeth and the main man of the show captain jack sparrow the former captain of barbosa's ship the black pearl and an all-around nutcase of a pirate go after barbosa and his crew Um, Will to get Elizabeth and Jack to get his ship back. There's a trip to Tortuga to build a new crew, an unfortunate realization that as Elizabeth, again, who in her panic used the last name Turner instead of Swan during her kidnapping, can't end the curse. A short jaunt stranded on a deserted island, lots of rum, and a cool battle between Sparrow and Barbosa in all of their cursed glory. So in the curse, they can't die, and in the moonlight, they become like the walking dead. So they have a, a cool fight where it's almost like skeletons fighting. It's pretty awesome. And, and that's spoiler. Um, Jack survives. Elizabeth is returned to Port Royal. Will does not die. The crew is no longer cursed and all is well until the next movie. <laughs> When the movie came out, it was different from anything I'd ever seen. The humor, the adventure, the pirates, you don't get pirates very often. The curse, it was all of the things a summer blockbuster should be. It was fun, and it holds up fairly well. Sparrow, at least in the first one, is still an iconic character to this day. Johnny Depp most certainly put his own spin on him, and it proved to be the right call all the way around. There was the perfect amount of humor from Elizabeth using the rum on the island to stoke a bonfire and then Sparrow getting very upset, screaming, where's the rum? What did you do with the rum? To Will Turner openly mocking Jack's drunken movements or the running gag about tying together sea turtles from the hair on his chest to get off the deserted island. <laughs> so there's, they had a lot going for it. And it was one that was incredibly rewatchable because you loved the character so much and you got a new joke every time you watched it. But that leads us to the conversation of would I have survived in this movie? And I broke it up into a couple different things. Would I have survived as a pirate? Would I have survived as a normal person? So as a pirate, I'm neither crafty nor lucky enough to be a pirate. Plus, I'm a stringent rule follower and couldn't deal with stealing from or attacking anyone. I'm a lover, not a fighter. There are so many moments when a pirate survives by just sheer dumb luck. Choices that shouldn't work work like swinging from ropes and landing on platforms or dancing around on beams in the middle of a blacksmith forge as the fire burns below and um, a donkey is walking around stoking the fire and they're just dancing around above it like nothing 
Like it doesn't bother them. At the beginning of the movie, when Barbosa and his men are attacking the fort and capture Elizabeth in the governor's house, there's a pirate there and he is stealing candlesticks and such. And he's kind of standing in this doorway, proud of himself, when out of nowhere, a cannonball comes flying through the home right into said pirate, sending him sailing, pun intended, out of the house. That would be me. That is how I would get taken out. I would be that pirate and I would just get hit by a random... (laughs) cannonball and taken out. Now, as a normal boring person, let us count the ways how I would die. I would fall off the ship unintentionally. I would trip directly into a sword. I would find a similar fate to our pirate friend from earlier and just get hit by a random cannonball. I'd consistently react too slowly and I would be captured and killed or killed on multiple occasions. I would die from terrible seasickness. I would drown and all of that would be sad. But the most sad thing of all is that I would hide and not end up on a pirate adventure. And I am sure of that. I would waste away on a tropical island, envious of the men who freely sail the seven seas, making poor life choices, inevitably dying from loneliness because I would be forced to marry a man I don't love or suffocate from a corset. That would be my fate. That is how I would die. I'd also like to point out that it is doubtful I would actually understand the subtle language used being used when Jack is basically telling at the end of the movie Will Turner that he's stealing an, at one of the medallions during the penultimate battle between Sparrow and Barbosa. He's stealing it so that he knows that he's cursed. The pirate booty that will make him immortal. I would enter the battle so confused because I just don't often pick up on that when somebody's being so subtle like, uh, you know, they're telling you what they're doing without telling you what they're doing. I I don't always get it. That would just go right over my head. And if I wasn't completely distracted during the fight trying to understand what was going on and immediately get stabbed by an undead pirate, I would get to that special moment when that subtleness pays off and the, the big reveal happens and be so amazed at the reveal because I didn't know it was coming even though I should have. And the fact that at that moment, Jack becomes a zombie dude. That would be a moment, too, that I would get too distracted and I would get stabbed and I would die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That's what this all comes down to. Now, why, why shouldn't the characters have survived either? Well, as mentioned earlier, Jack is only alive by sheer dumb luck. No one is that savvy, that fortunate, that sure-footed that they survive half the things he does. He's also terribly annoying and would almost would most definitely have been shot in Tortuga. The fact that he gets out of Tortuga alive is beyond me. And Jack and Elizabeth are at one point, they're forced to walk the plank inside of an island, but not dropped off in the shallows where they can just, you know, walk up. They're a distance away. They have to swim to this island. So somehow they don't, they don't drown that. They should have drowned because they, it's a far way to swim. And I guess the current could be pushing them towards the island, but she's got on, you know, undergarments that are not good to swim in. He is most definitely inebriated on some level, and yet they make it to this island unscathed. How does that, how does that happen? But then seriously, what are the odds that the British fleet has chosen that particular route to travel and finds them on that island? I don't understand odds at all. When people talk about odds and statistics, I don't get it, but I'm just going to go with the odds can't be good. They're not good. It is a big ocean. (laughs) I think they would be dead. That's just, that's my two cents. I think they'd be dead. Interesting tidbits. Johnny Depp wore contact lenses, which served as sunglasses, so he wouldn't be squinting in the sun all the time. I did not know they make sunglasses, 
sunglass contact lenses. That's, that's interesting. According to the screenwriter's commentary on the DVD, Will Turner is the best swordsman in the film. Barbosa and Commodore Norrington are evenly matched, and Jack Sparrow is actually the worst swordsman, which makes sense. Also, according to the DVD commentaries, Jeffrey Rush has a theory that people watch the screen from left to right, just like when they read a book. So he tried to be in the left side of the screen as often as possible because he wanted, you know, to be seen more. He was particularly intent on doing this in the scenes with the monkey and Kira Knightley because he didn't think anyone would look at him otherwise. The East India Company, the real-life counterpart of the film franchise's East India Trading Company, really did brand pirates with a P, but it was put on their forehead instead of their arm. In the, in the movie, we find out we get to see that Jack has been branded with a P, which just tells the military and whoever that comes across him that he has been charged with piracy. Industrial light and magic designers scanned turkey jerky to create the effect of decomposing skin when the pirates turn into their skeletal forms. At around minute 26, um, the substance sprayed on Will Turner. So they are fighting in the black for- the blacksmith forge. Will has come back from giving um, a sword he made the governor had asked him to make, or actually his boss to make, he's just an apprentice, for as a present to the now Commodore Norrington. And he's returned back. Jack has appeared on Port Royal. He is being chased. He's been cuffed, and he's kind of just running around trying to get the cuffs off in the Blacksmith Forge. And so they fight, and that's one where they're just kind of skipping around in the beams above. And at the end, he blows the substance onto Will Turner's face. And they used um, powdered chocolate for that. there's this one guy on Instagram that I follow and he does a lot with props in movies and how they can, the, the imagination to come up with different substances and things to use as props, I think is very cool. Now this one is completely wrong. Um, I know it is completely wrong because I am intimately familiar with the movie they are comparing it to. Some idiot though, put this in the, the tidbits, the interesting trivia on IMDb. And it says that the plot is loosely similar to Kroll that came out in 1983. They claim Jack Sparrow agrees to help Will Turner rescue Elizabeth Swan, who has been kidnapped by Bar- Barbosa, which in return, Will Turner will give him his freedom and Turner sets out with Sparrow and his crew to rescue her. That is not what Kroll is about. Kroll is about aliens that are invading the the world and two kingdoms have to join and they are going to join by the marriage of the prince and the princess. And at the wedding, the princess is kidnapped by the alien race and the prince guy has to go find her and he ends up creating this band this posse with him as he goes it has nothing maybe so loosely, but I hate that comparison because it in no way is like Kroll. And if you haven't seen Kroll, we're going to talk about it one day because I can't not talk about it. I love it. But that is it for today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Next episode, we are going to go back to Michael Bay. I'm sorry. We have to though. We have to talk about the Transformers. Um, and, and I promise you then that that's the last Michael Bay that we're going to talk about. And then we're going to have two movies in a row by the same director, which I did not mean to do, uh, but it happened and it's going to be okay. We're going to make it through. 
Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who who has no idea what they're talking about and, and admits that fully, but has such a good time doing it. Well, those people can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share this podcast, that would be awesome too. So that other people can find it. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at gnome girl M and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. Thank mm-hmm. you.